Welcome to New Life with Adam Camp. This podcast is a ministry of Rosemont Baptist Church in LaGrange, Georgia. Please visit us on the web at rosemontchurch.org. Enjoy the podcast. Because your word promises that you are with us always. We give you praise and honor and glory for who you are in this time of worship together. In Jesus' name, amen. Father, thank you again just for the opportunity of worship, Lord, just the ability to to, uh, sing, Lord, and and to praise your name. And I I pray that that as we move uh, into a time now of the study of your word, we would continue with that mindset of worship. Lord, we realize worship isn't just about singing. It's also about hearing your word and being confronted with truth, Father, and applying that truth to our lives. So we continue, Lord, with the spirit of worship thanking you for who you are and for what you've done, asking us now to speak very clearly to us through your word. Father, help us just to understand your truth. Help us to to figure out how we take that truth and apply it to our lives, Father, and to give us the wisdom and the strength to be better, Father, conformed, transformed through the power of the Spirit more and more into the likeness of your Son, Jesus Christ. And it's in his powerful and precious name that we pray. Take your Bibles this morning, open up to Mark chapter 5, Mark chapter 5. Let me just clarify something very quickly before we jump into this text this morning. Easter, here at church, three services, they're different times than normal though. For you guys it remains the same, but for different services it's different. I don't want you to be confused. There is, by the way, welcome those of you that thought you were at the 930 service. It's it's 11 o'clock. Glad you're here. I recognize a few faces. I'm not saying who. I'm not pointing anybody out. Easter's a little bit different. We're having an 8 o'clock service, a 9.30, and an 11. Okay? 8.30. 8, 9.30, and 11. Okay? And we're asking you to go to your same service. That way it'll just kind of keep the numbers. We hope even we're praying we have enough seats. I don't know if we will or not. That's a good problem to have. But we'll be in our new building. I want to invite you to be part of that. Okay, Mark chapter 5. We're continuing our study this morning. Excited about the gospel of Mark, excited about all that the Lord is doing, excited about his ministry and his growth. We're seeing just incredible things. Over the last several weeks, Jesus is just continually demonstrating to these people his power and his majesty and his glory and his deity. And I've reminded our other two services already, and I want to remind you as well, we read these accounts and we read these stories and we're familiar with them. Like we know who Jesus is, we know what Jesus did, we understand how he did these miraculous events, and we know how he changed people's lives. 
But Mark, this is important, Mark wrote this to a group of people in the first century that did not know who Jesus was. And so Mark is building this case of his glory and his power, and over the last several weeks, especially of his deity. Right? Two weeks ago, we studied the storm. Jesus gets in the boat with his disciples. They get out on the Sea of Galilee. Kind of out of nowhere, a storm arises. Jesus is asleep. They wake him up. He speaks to the storm, and the, the Bible says that the wind and the waves obey him. And even his disciples are fearful, saying, like, who is this guy? that even the winds and the waves obey him, right? The deity of Christ. Last week, he got across the boat, got across the Sea of Galilee, made it through the storm, got out of the boat onto the other side. He's immediately confronted by a man possessed by a demon. He casts the demon out. He demonstrates his power now over demonic forces, over evil. So he's shown his power in the storm. He's shown his power against the enemy, against Satan. He's demonstrating for us his power and his deity. We're going to pick the story up right there, Mark chapter 5, Verse 21, just again, context. He's gone across the Sea of Galilee. The storm has hit him. He got to the other side. He healed the man possessed by a demon. They were so fearful of him, they asked him to leave again. He got back into the boat, sailed back to the original side of the Sea of Galilee. We pick it up now in Mark chapter 5, verse 21. When Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him. Again, we see these people interested in seeing him. And he was beside the sea. Verse 22, Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet. Like Jairus falls at the feet of Jesus and implored or begged him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. And he went with him. And a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. Now, you may remember a few weeks ago, I explained to you how Mark uses kind of this sandwich method. He'll start telling a story. He'll stop telling it, go to another story, and then come back to the original story. It's kind of like an A, B, A. That's the way, that's the way Mark tells stories, and it draws our attention to these two stories and how they're similar. So he's going to do this now in Mark chapter 5. A is Jairus. His daughter is sick. He begs Jesus to heal his daughter. We'll come back to that in just a second. But Mark now goes to part B. Look at verse 25. And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years and who'd suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had and was no better but rather grew worse. She had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if I touch even his garment, I will be made well, and immediately the flow of blood dried up. She felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, watch this, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, Who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing around you, and yet you say, Who touched me? And he looked around to see who'd done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. Let's stop there. I want to draw a truth out. I want you to see it. You've heard it before. It's not going to necessarily be new to you, but I want you to begin to think through how you can apply it to your life. Here's the first truth. We have it on the screen. Jesus has compassion 
on all, like everybody. Jesus has compassion on everyone. And I want you to see that in this story, and I want you to see it maybe in a little different light. Here's one of the problems we run into when we study Scripture. Our culture today is very different than the culture of the first century. So the way these people lived and thought and acted and the things they did were very different than the way we live and think and the way that we act. And so sometimes it's good for us to understand first century culture to help us kind of understand what's going on in this story. And in this story so far, we've got two kind of very different people. And I want you to see these two people. I want you to see Jairus first. Then I want you to see this woman. Now, Jairus, the Bible tells us, is one of the rulers of the synagogue. That meant because he was a ruler of the synagogue, <clears throat> he was powerful, he had authority, he was wealthy. So if you're kind of thinking about social status and you had a little bit of a scale, Jarius is up towards the top. People listen to him, they look to him for answers, he's well known in the community, he's probably got a good bit of money, he's got power, he's got authority, people see him as a leader, he's kind of up at the top. Now this is interesting and we're going to see this with the woman as well. Jarius, because he's the ruler of the synagogue, knew important people, right? He knew the Pharisees, he knew the Sadducees, he knew the religious leaders, all the people now that have kind of plotted to kill Jesus. Now, this is important. I want you to get this because the woman's going to have a, a, a kind of a different sort of a dilemma, but the same sort of idea. Jarius is going to risk everything by going to Jesus. Like the Pharisees and the Sadducees do not like Jesus, right? The popularity of Jesus is increasing. The opposition against Jesus is increasing. Pharisees, Sadducees do not like Jesus. They're angry at him. They've already plotted to kill him. When they see the guy that runs the synagogue falling at the feet of Jesus, begging Jesus to do something in the life of his daughter, they're not going to be happy. Now, at the other end of the spectrum is this woman. Let's make sure we can understand this because it's very different in our society in America today. Like first century, just to be clear, women by and large were looked down upon. So this woman already has got kind of a strike against her. The second strike against her is she's in public alone without her husband. That would not have been a good thing for her. Very uncommon in the first century. The third strike against her is this woman, the Bible says, has been bleeding for 12 years. By Jewish law, that would have made her unclean, which meant nobody could have touched her, including her husband. It certainly meant she wasn't allowed to touch anybody else. So when this woman decides she wants to see Jesus, and she begins to walk through the crowd to see Jesus, she's taking a great risk because not only is she a woman, not only is she alone, not only is she unclean, but the Bible tells us she spent all of her money on physicians, trying to get well, nothing has worked, so now she's poor. A poor, single woman, alone, unclean, should have never been walking through a crowd of people to touch them, should have never been pushing aside people, should have never walked up to Jesus. And I think the, the, the Bible and the Lord and Mark wants us to see very clearly, she could have gotten in front of Jesus and stopped him. Instead, she touches him. She should have never touched him. She was unclean. We see this woman who took great risk to find Jesus, to push her way through the crowd, to get to be with Jesus. Now, here's what I want you to see. This is important. There's kind of two main things I want to get out of this. The first one, I've already kind of given you the point, but I want to reiterate it. And I want you to think about it again just for a minute. We see very clearly that the love Jesus has for us, 
his willingness to work in our lives, his desire to help, his compassion is not bound by our culture. It's not bound by our social status. It's not bound by our wealth. You understand that? Jesus loves everybody, regardless of who you are. And if anybody has ever told you different, they've lied to you. The second thing we see is Jesus is not bound by circumstances. Like this woman has been bleeding for 12 years, this unclean woman, this man whose daughter is very sick, and we're going to see in a second, she's going to die. Jesus doesn't look at either one of those two circumstances, very different and yet very difficult, and say, man, I, I really wish I could help. It's just a little too much for me. That's not what Christ teaches. See, we, we find ourselves, if we're not careful, and I hope maybe you've never said this out loud, but maybe you've lived this way, wondering if Jesus really can do something. Like, Jesus, I know you say this, but I'm just not quite sure in the real world what you can do to help me. Or I'm not quite sure in this particular situation, Lord, what you're actually going to do. One writer said it like this. He says, not only does Mark demonstrate the power of our Lord Jesus, but he also reveals his person. What we see in these passages is not just that God is a God of infinite power, but that he is a God of infinite compassion and tenderness. He's deeply touched by human needs. He's sensitive to our suffering and our trials in life. It doesn't matter your circumstance, doesn't matter the culture, doesn't matter the status, the wealth, doesn't matter any of those things. Jesus loves you. And I just wonder what life would be like if we actually lived the way Jesus lived. Like we just said, you know, I don't, I don't really care about the culture. I don't care about your social status. I don't care about your wealth. I don't really care about your circumstances. I'm going to love you in the name of Christ. Because these two people have something very interesting. They're, they're opposite ends of the spectrum, clearly. But they have one thing in common that I love, and it's something we can all have in common. They're vastly different in where they are in society. They're vastly different in their wealth. They're vastly different in their acceptance of the world. But the one thing they have in common is that they are desperate to find Jesus. Desperate. And they're willing to risk their career in the case of Jairus and their very life in the case of this woman just to find Jesus, just to touch him, just to be healed. You know, it's hard for us to understand this need of healing like the people in the first century did. Right, you get sick or injured, something happens to you, and your first response is, I'm going to the doctor. Like if it's really bad, you call 911 and you go into the hospital. Right? There are, within our area, opportunities for you to find medical treatment, great facilities, doctors, so on and so forth. That's our kind of default. That's what we do. But one of the things that's been interesting to me over the last many years as I've had the opportunity to travel and see different places is that there are lots of, we do mission work in some difficult places in the world, and there are lots of places that don't have access to the same sorts of things we do. You, you go to sub-Saharan Africa where we work, and you are an hour's drive away from a legitimate doctor. An hour. Okay? Nobody there has a car. Nobody there has money to pay for transportation. And even if they could get to Choma, which is the nearest city, <laughs> even if they could get there to see a doctor, they don't have money to spend to pay the doctor to give them medicine. And so I I'm amazed there in Guatemala and parts of India, when we travel around and go in people's homes and we share the gospel with them and we ask them, hey, is there anything that we can pray for you about? It always comes up, there's somebody in the home or there's a neighbor or a family member or friend that's sick, could you please pray for the healing of this person? 
Now, just complete transparency. I always am conflicted a little bit. Because my first thought is always kind of sadness. I just wish they had the opportunity to have medical, medical, better medical treatment, doctors, nurses, medicines. I wish they had that opportunity. But I'm conflicted a little bit because I don't envy their position at all. I don't wish that I could live without medical treatment and without medicines. But I do envy the position in their life that they find themselves in because it drives them to Christ understanding that he's their only hope. Like, and if I were honest with you, and I'm standing up here as your pastor, and you probably say the same thing, I don't know that I'm driven to Christ quite like they are when I'm sick or when my family members are sick or when bad things happen. Because we see this woman, and we see this man, and we see that they are desperate for Jesus, begging him to intervene in their lives because they have no other hope but Christ. And so I wrote two questions down. You can write them down if you want to, or you can just contemplate them on your own. The first one is this, how desperate are we for him? That's a legitimate question we ought to be asking. Like, how desperate are we for Christ? The second question is this. Who are you running to in your greatest moments of need? Because I promise you, there's a lot of places we can run to. There's a lot of people we could talk to. There's a lot of people that will give us answers. But are we desperate enough to run and fall at the feet of Christ in our worst possible situations? Now, let's continue. Let's see what happens, right? So we've gone A, story of Jairus, the daughter B, now the woman who's been sick for 12 years. Jesus has compassion on both of these. Doesn't matter the circumstances. Doesn't matter the background. Now look at 35. We're going back to story A. This is Jairus. So while he was still speaking, right? So he's still talking to the woman. <clears throat> he's still explaining faith to her. She's been healed. There came from the ruler's house some who said, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, Do not fear, only believe. And he allowed no one to follow him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. They came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. When he had entered, he said to them, Why are you making commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. Now, just a side note right here. Jesus knew the girl was dead, but he knew it wasn't permanent. Like things are about to change. They just don't quite understand it yet. Verse 40. And they, what's the response? Laughed at him. But he put them all outside, took the child's father and mother and those who were with him, and went in there, excuse me, and went in where the child was. Verse 41. Taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha me, which means little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up. And began walking, for she was 12 years old, and they were immediately overcome with amazement. And he strictly charged them that no one should know this, and he told them to give her something to eat. Let's stop there for a second, right? We've seen the compassion that Jesus has. We've seen his love, regardless of circumstances, regardless of social status. Here's the second truth I want you to see this morning. Number two, Jesus is calm, reassuring, and in control even when we aren't. Jesus is calm, reassuring, and in control even when we aren't. Now I want you to see this in the Bible. I want you to take my word for it. I want you to see what actually happens. I want to walk through this and I want to draw this out for you. Look at verse 35. They're still speaking. Someone from the ruler's house comes and says to them, your daughter is dead. Now watch what he says. Why trouble the teacher any further. In other words, hey Jesus, thanks but no thanks. It's a little too late. 
there's nothing you can do to save her. Like you had a window, we came to you a little while ago, we asked you to work, we wanted you to come and do something. You missed that opportunity, you missed that chance, the girl's already dead, we're not going to bother you anymore. Now here's how we need to see this. We need to see this as the noise and the unbelief of the world. Let's continue that thinking. It doesn't stop here. I want you to notice the response of Jesus. Look at verse 36. Overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, Do not fear, only believe. You see the calmness there? See the reassuring? See, Jesus hears the noise. Jesus hears the unbelief. Jesus hears the doubt. Jesus says, listen, just be calm. Don't fear, just believe. You see the contrast here? Now look, let's see it again in verse 38. So they came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and Jesus saw. Here's again, a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. See, there's the noise of the world. There's the unbelief. We think it's over. Jesus can't really do anything. And yet Jesus responds. Look at verse 39. Here it is again. Here's the contrast. When he'd entered, he said to them, why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. Right? Noise, unbelief, commotion compared to calm reassuring faith look at it again verse 40 but they laughed at him right there's the noise of the world Jesus you can't do this we don't believe you you're not strong enough verse 41 taking her by the hand he said to her little girl I say to you arise most scholars think that this is written in such a way in the Greek that it would have been the same way the mom would have spoken to her in a very quiet way very reassuring way the comforting way the parent speaks to a child. So you've got this very interesting contrast in these verses. You've got the noise of the world, the despair, the doubt, the hopelessness contrasted with the faith of Jesus, with his belief, with his sense of calm. And here's the truth I want you to get. Here's what I want you to understand that you need to apply to your life very simply. We must replace the noise of the world with the calm of Jesus. You understand that? Man, that is a lesson that far too many people have never learned. If you think you're going to do away with the noise of the world, you might as well bang your head against the wall. You're not. There's always going to be unbelief. There's always going to be anger. There's always going to be doubt. There's always going to be hopelessness. That world exists. And while we pray for that world and we try to live in that world and we try to interject Christ into that world... All those things are still true. People still feel that way. It's our responsibility as believers, even as we live in the midst of that world, to drown that noise out and instead listen to the voice of the Lord, not the voice of distraction. Because it's very easy for us to hear fear and doubt and uncertainty and never actually hear the voice of the Lord. I had somebody make a recommendation to me several years ago I mentioned going to different mission opportunities around the world in different places. And for a few years when I would do that, I like to watch movies and listen to music. And if you get on a plane and put on your earbuds, you can hear the music or the movie. But you've got to turn it up so loud because there's noise around you. Like people are talking and the sound of the engine, which just goes on, which is a good thing. You want, you want the engine to go on for however many hours you're flying. But it can be a little annoying. It can be loud. And you put in earbuds, you just got to turn the volume up and get a headache. And somebody said, listen, you need to buy some noise-canceling headphones. And so I did some research, and I looked into what noise-canceling headphones are. And there's kind of two different kinds. There's a passive version 
which just means it's got a lot of extra padding so you can't hear things. And then there's the, which is what I have, the active version. These are active noise-canceling headphones, okay? Now, here's what this means. It means that there are little sensors in these headphones that pick up the sounds around you. And actually, and I can't really explain the science behind it, but I can tell you what it says. They actually take the sounds that you hear, create the inverse or the opposite of those sounds. And when it creates the opposite of the sounds that you hear, your brain hears nothing. It's true. Now, I thought... Yeah, no way, man, no way. That's not real. You know, it takes two little AAA batteries, not going to work. But I get on an airplane, and see this right here? See the little blue light off, and now it's on? The world goes away. Can y'all hear me? Can you hear me? You would be amazed at how a little set of noise-canceling headphones makes your trip go so much easier. And I thought, you know, it's kind of like that in our life. Like the Word of God it's kind of like our noise-canceling headphones. Like we can listen to the sound of the world and it can drown us out if we, if we want it to. We can just let it in and be consumed by it. Or we can kind of take what we know in Scripture, we can set aside the sound of the world and instead listen to the quiet, still voice of the Lord. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5 says, We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God. Watch this. And take every thought captive to obey Christ if you want to drown out the noise of the world then take your thoughts captive don't let your thoughts control you hear the noise of the world hear the unbelief and in the midst of it be reminded of the truth of the gospel be reminded of exactly who Jesus is be reminded of exactly what Jesus does One writer explained it like this. He said, fully trusting in God is very hard. It calls us to act in great faith daily. But think about how great life could be if we lived without worry, stress, anxiety, fear, and doubt. We must intentionally focus on God's plans for us and not our own. And sometimes that means setting aside our own plans and expectations His plans for us are greater than anything we can imagine for ourselves. We have to remove doubt from our hearts, replace it with belief, and trust Him. In doing so, our faith will grow stronger and stronger as we see Him lead us in the directions we're truly meant to go. See, we've got to be reminded that in the... Put that second point up for me again, please. We got to be reminded that, that in the difficulties of life, Jesus is that calming, reassuring, in control voice, even when we're not. And instead of listening to the things of the world and the doubt and the unbelief, we need to listen to the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It must guide us. Now, let's finish up. We got to wind this down. Look at verse one of chapter six. We're going to go into the next chapter because there's something interesting here that's going to challenge us a little bit. Mark chapter 6, verse 1. So he went away from there, right? He's healed the girl. She's been raised up from the dead. He's healed the woman. Incredible things have happened. He goes away from there and came to his hometown, and his disciples followed him. Now, we would expect Jesus to walk into his hometown knowing what we know about him, and they're throwing a ticker tape parade for him, right? Here he comes. He's the man of the hour. We're going to put him on the back of the best horse, give him the key of the city. All the leaders are going to be out there to greet him. Jesus, welcome home. We're so glad you're here. Look at what happens instead, verse 2. And on the Sabbath, he began to teach in the synagogue. Many who heard him were astonished, saying, now watch this. Here's the questions begin. Where did this man get these things? 
What's the wisdom given to him? How are such mighty works done by his hands? Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary and brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon? Are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. And Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and among his relatives and in his own household. Now, here it is. Watch this. This is a challenge for us. And he, Now, watch. This is amazing. He could do no mighty work there. Let me read that again. This is Jesus we're talking about. He could do no mighty work there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and they were healed. And he marveled because of their unbelief and he went about among the villages teaching. Here's the third truth I want you to see. Number three, our faith matters. When it comes to Jesus working in our life, when it comes to Jesus doing miraculous things, when it comes to Jesus interacting in our world, our faith matters. Now the story of Jairus and this little girl and the story of the woman who'd been sick for 12 years, those stories are all about faith. You need to see that. Right? Jairus comes to Jesus and he says, lay your hands on my daughter so that she may be made well and live. He showed faith in Christ. you understand that? I had a conversation with a guy at the end of the last service. Now watch this. This is important. This is a whole other side issue. We could spend a whole other sermon on this. But it's the, now watch, it's the faith of the father that healed the little girl, dads. Think about that one this afternoon. Then the, the woman who came and touched Jesus, and he said, Daughter, your faith has made you well. And he goes into the house of Jairus, and he says, Overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, Don't fear, only believe. Right? It's all about faith. It's all about trust. It's all about belief. Right? And then he goes to his hometown. The Bible tells us he could not do mighty works, verse 6, because he marveled at their unbelief. Now, I can't explain this to you theologically. I, I don't know how to do it. I can't explain to you how this actually works. But I can say to you with absolute certainty, we see it here and in other places in Scripture, there are moments when lack of faith causes Jesus not to act. Now, I want to be clear. I don't want to mislead you. It's not that Jesus couldn't act. He's the King of kings and the Lord of lords, creator of the universe. He can do anything he wants to do. But he chose, for whatever reason, because of their lack of faith, to not do mighty work. So, so fast forward 2,000 years in your life. What is Jesus not doing in your life because of your lack of faith? Like, what would he like to accomplish through you, but you don't have the faith to let him do it? Like, what's he calling you to that you've been hesitant to follow in because you're unsure if he can actually do it? <laughs> Remember, it doesn't matter about your circumstances. doesn't matter about the, the societal culture. doesn't matter about your money. doesn't matter about your past. It only matters that you trust Jesus, run to him, fall at his feet, have faith that he's going to work. Right, But too many of us get wrapped up in that other stuff. Jesus, you can't work because X, Y, Z. We've got this long list of excuses. Jesus says, listen, if you'll just have faith in me... If you'll just trust me, I'll do great things in your life. Now, I understand in, in a church this size with the number of people that come through the doors of the building every week that there are a lot of struggles. And I got a feeling, and I know for a fact, just from some of the stories that I'm aware of, that some of you come this morning, you're kind of standing on, on the edge of your faith. 
and you really are unsure, you, you, you love the Lord and you want to serve the Lord, but there's just something happening in your life or it's right up ahead or something you're in the middle of and you're just not quite sure how Jesus is going to work. And you're wondering, is he, is he really powerful enough to fix this? I mean, can he really undo this knot? Can he really fix this situation? Can he really change this person's heart? The answer to all those questions is yes. And so I, I just want to encourage you, regardless of where you are, regardless of what you're going through, regardless of the struggles that you find in life, very simply, trust Christ. Run to Jesus. Fall at his feet. Beg him to work believing that he can do miraculous things in your life. Now I want to close with a little bit of a challenge. So I'm going to go ahead and let you close your Bibles up, close your notes up. Let's go ahead and do that now. Guys, if our musicians would come on up, Stacy and your team, if y'all come on up. I just want you to kind of be still for a minute. I want you to put all your stuff up and then just kind of be still because I want to challenge you with the idea. Let's just bow our heads just for a minute right where we are. And I just want you to contemplate in your mind right now your faith. Some of you say, I've, I've never had faith. I don't even know what faith looks like. I don't know who Christ is. I've never experienced that forgiveness. Well, I'd love to, I'd love to talk to you today about that. Like, I'd love you to leave here this morning understanding Christ in a new and fresh way through salvation to him. So if that's you, I'd love to talk to you. But for so many others of us that are already believers... You say, Adam, I, I know I'm a Christian. I know I've accepted Jesus, but I don't know that I've got the faith to make it through this moment. I want to just pray for you right now. And I want to pray that God's going to do a miraculous work in your heart and demonstrate his power and glory to you. Father, we, we just thank you as we just kind of reflect in our own hearts right now who you are, Lord. I want to thank you for your love and for your grace. And Lord, I want to thank you that you're faithful even when I'm not. And even when I step away, Father, and I make mistakes and I do dumb things, you're still there. You're still the author of hope, Lord, the foundation of my life. And so I want, I want to pray right now for anybody in, in this room, Father, right now that hears me speaking that's never accepted Christ as their Lord and Savior. Just break their hearts right now of the truth. May they understand that they've got to run to Christ. They need to be desperate for healing. They need to fall at his feet begging him for mercy, and then understanding that he will accept them no matter who they are. Speak to that person, Father. And, and then for the person, Lord, here this morning that's struggling in some situation in life and there's some sort of a problem they're facing or a struggle or illness or whatever the case may be, Father, just, just remind them of your strength. Remind them of your power and of your glory. May they run to you, Father. May they fall at your feet. May you do great things in their midst. Father, just use us. We want to serve you, Father. We want you to increase our faith. We want to love you more. We want to follow you to the ends of the earth if necessary. But, Father, we ask that you would just lead us, that you would guide us, that you would direct our hearts. Give us the faith and the strength we need to do the things you've called us to do. And we'll praise your name for all that you are. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I want you to stand altar is open. You can come speak to me. You can pray. It's a time for you to respond as we sing together this morning. You come.
Thank you for joining today's sermon. We would love to hear how today's message blessed you. Use the Contact Us link on our website at rosemontchurch.org. God bless.